The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome into a sunny Friday edition of the Leach Report as we head into the weekend. And we'll do that today with uh, visits with John Clay from the Lexington Herald-Leader, Sean Vinsel from Hoops Insight with uh, some insight into some of the new Wildcats that have joined the program as transfers, and Darren Hedrick to talk about a big win for UK baseball. That's our guest lineup. As we go to the Wildcat news of the day, and we'll start with the new additions to John Calipari's staff. Orlando Antigua and Ron Chin Coleman, officially named as assistant coaches yesterday. Uh, both will be on-court coaches, along with Jay Lucas. Bruiser Flint moves into the role of associate to the head coach, uh, the role that Tony Barbie had last season. So Cal has his staff set now, and maybe he gets his point guard next weekend. Uh, several analysts now predicting Ty Ty Washington will sign with Kentucky. Uh, the analyst for 24-7 Sports said, as of now, signs are pointing to Washington landing with Kentucky. And uh, that would be the missing piece to the puzzle for Kentucky to get the point guard to go along with the shooters that they have lined up on the wing. And uh, at that point, maybe they try to get one more guy uh, to give them a little depth in the backcourt at the point, or maybe they get Davian Mintz back. But if it could uh, land the point guard next weekend, would be huge. Uh, Cat's Paws' Derek Terry reporting that Nick Lewis is going to enter the transfer portal. Offensive tackle for Kentucky. Uh, who had a limited role on special teams last season. Coming up today, Kentucky could land another commitment. This one's a cornerback, Alex Afari, going to commit today, and most of the projections have him coming to play for the Wildcats and Mark Stoops. Big win for Kentucky baseball last night. Kentucky beat number 8 Florida 7-5. to Cats now 11-11 in the SEC, 27-15 and overall. They built up a 5-0 lead, saw Florida come back to tie it, and then in the bottom of the eighth, John Rhodes delivered a two-run single that gave Kentucky the lead and the win. And we will talk about that with Darren Hendrick a little bit later in the show. Kentucky's right there on the fringe of an NCAA tournament bid, if you believe the various bracketology analysts. Uh, so they're they're in the discussion anyway. Um, they If they could... Get one more win over the Gators, win this series would be massive. Obviously, sweep would be even better. But just to win the series would be huge. Then uh, take care of business in the midweek games, uh, do well against Vandy, and they would, I would think, at worst, be in a position of going to the SEC tournament with a chance to play their way in. And uh, they, depending on how well they do down the stretch run of the regular season, they uh, the, the tournament might not be... The, the thing that has to propel them into the NCAA. They might be there already. So, big weekend for Kentucky baseball. Uh, second game of the series coming up tonight out of Kentucky Proud Park. And, again, we'll get a preview with Darren here in just a bit. The uh, Iverson Classic is underway in Memphis. Practices uh, today, I think there are three-on-three contests, three-point shooting contests and different uh, things like that. And then tomorrow's the game. 
Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins are on one team. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, perhaps a future cat, is on the other team. I think you can uh, stream this game tomorrow and get a look at uh, how those guys perform. Uh, Men's soccer, number four, Wake Forest, knocked Kentucky out in the Sweet 16-2-1 yesterday. Uh, Men's tennis, Kentucky will host Cleveland State in the NCAA tournament and 1 o'clock today over at the Boone Tennis Center on the U.K. campus. And women's tennis in the NCAA tournament. They're playing way out west, though, at the University of California, taking on Syracuse later today. So uh, good luck to both of the tennis squads as they begin NCAA tournament play. On the road to the Triple Crown, some news related to the Preakness. All of our Triple Crown coverage presented once again by Claiborne Farm, doing the usual unusually well. Brad Cox yesterday saying that he will not run Mandaloon or Caddo River in the Preakness. Mandaloon, the Derby runner-up. Caddo River was taken out of Derby consideration a week out from the race, but there was some thought he'd be back in the Preakness, and he would have been a major pace factor for Medina Spirit to have to deal with, but no Caddo River. Uh, Midnight Bourbon is going to run back after a disappointing Derby effort. Going to get a new jockey, though. I read Ortiz will be in the saddle on this, this one for Steve Asmussen. And then Keep Me in Mind, now declared as a Preakness starter. And he ran a sneaky good race uh, when nobody was closing from way back at uh, Churchill on Saturday. But he was went from dead last, passed a whole bunch of horses, and uh, ended up, I think, uh, seventh and not far out of... Uh, uh, maybe getting up to as high as fifth. So keep me in mind, uh, a late runner is confirmed for the Preakness as well. Links to the stories that we talk about, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We'll head to a break. John Clay is going to join us when we come right back. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio right here in Lexington. We'll be right back. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. Quarter past the top of the hour as we welcome in John Clay from the Lexington Herald-Leader and KentuckySports.com. John, we'll start with uh, some moves from Coach Cal with his staff and adding Orlando Antigua, Ron Chin Coleman from the Illinois staff yesterday has been rumored for a long time, but finally became official. So uh, how significant in your mind? Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously significant. It's, it's glad to, I'm glad, to, for one, I'm glad to see Coach O back. He's a, uh, he was a pleasant guy to be around, always. Uh, he, he would like to interact with the media whenever you ran into him in the hall and stuff, and I think he's a, uh, you know, he obviously was very successful here when I first go around with Cali, Kentucky. Uh, you know, and I, I know that Ron Chin Coleman has a good reputation as a recruiter, and obviously uh, both those guys on Brad Underwood's staff did a good job, did a heck of a job at Illinois in helping him uh, build a, you know, really good team uh, this past season. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised that, you know, when you go 9-16, and 16, kind of shake things up a little bit, uh, you know, and Tony Barbie gets a head coaching job, which I know he – he has wanted, uh, and then I think it's a good opportunity for Joel Justice as well, uh, going with uh, Bobby Hurley out at Arizona State, uh, you know, give him some more exposure. And I know down the road Joel would love to be a head coach as well. So uh, hopefully it works out well for everybody. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, that uh, that would be the best. As far as um, 
the uh, addition of C.J. Frederick has also happened recently, and they had a Kellen Grady, obviously, a while back. Um, Sheboy much much earlier, but so the the um, what Cal's doing in the transfer portal seems to mesh with what he was saying after the season ended and the way the game was changing and uh, recognizing that because uh, so I was chatting with uh, maybe Justin yet, Roland yesterday. You look at who he's brought in. And it's guys that are certainly known more for their offense than their defense. Yeah, I mean, as we've talked before, I mean, the tra- with the new transfer rules and the NCAA finally approving the one-time uh, waiver, you don't have to sit out of the season uh, when you transfer, you know, on the first time. And, uh, you know, obviously that's the name of the game right now. It's probably, uh, if it's not as important as recruiting for, uh, your freshman class, it's, uh, you know, ranks right up there. And I think, Kind of what you're seeing is a lot of teams are trying to fill positions of need, and obviously, after watching the team last year, Cal's team could use some outside shooting, need more perimeter threat, and obviously they've gotten that with Grady and now with Frederick. And I think even before that, kind of was a little bit, maybe a little more under the radar because it happened during the season, other stuff was going on. But I think uh, Oscar bringing in uh, Shebway from West Virginia really helps them in another. Uh, area where they were lacking last year. They were just not a physical team. And uh, Sheboy, when we talked to him, oh, it, it, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, he said that he could see that they were getting, uh, UK was kind of getting bullied, as he put it, and he thought he could help with that. So, no, I think I like, uh, you know, all the guys that he's brought in uh, fit in well. Of course, the big question mark now is a point guard. We'll see what happens with Ty Ty Washington. Uh, but I think he's got, he's definitely helped uh, in two areas where they, uh, you know, needed help, and that's in physical play and in perimeter shooting. And then it would seem that we'll just have to wait a little bit beyond. We know Ty Ty Washington's getting ready to commit, and uh, and I guess Jalen Hardy too. If you want to uh, really try to dial in on on a long shot for Kentucky, but uh, after that, uh, even if they let's say they get Ty Ty Washington, as many expect now, um, there's still going to be a, a, a bit of a waiting game with. Um, guys like Mintz and is he going to come back or not um and then maybe Isaiah Jackson too and uh and Keon Brooks uh, hasn't been in any hurry to make a decision so they may have to wait a while for some of the, the rest of it to play out oh yeah it's uh, yeah definitely uh and you know you don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Carr is uh the kid from Minnesota who's been mentioned mm-hmm. Kentucky who's exploring the NBA draft but he's definitely another possibility he seems to be kind of the guy out there that uh People are, you know, pointing to that. Uh, here's a guy who could make a real difference, depending on you know what he's what he wants to do. But yeah, it's going to be in flux, and I think that's just the way it's going to be under these new set of rules, under the, under the kind of the new mode of operation throughout college basketball. And um, you know, it, we're, we may be <laughs> well into the summer before we know exactly what the roster is going to be for next year. You, I'm sure, from your feedback, know that fans, not big fan, college basketball fans, Kentucky in particular, become increasingly uh, less of of a fan of the one and done concept. Uh, what's the the feedback you're getting from fans as far as the transfer game? Well, I mean, I think you know, I think one of the things that uh, uh, you know, with the one and done, was when they keep looking at teams that are. Experience, more experienced uh, making the Final Four and winning championships. When you think about those two Villanova teams under Jay Wright, 
the North mm-hmm. Carolina team under Roy Williams. And but if you look at the teams this year who were also in the Final Four, were also experienced teams, but they had a lot of transfers on those teams. Look at Baylor. I think Baylor had four prominent guys who were transfers. Gonzaga had Andrew Nimhart who came in from Florida as a transfer. So I think they're maybe a little more uh, you know okay with the transfers because these guys have played college basketball before, and they are experienced, and they bring experience to the team. So my guess is that even those guys who are going to come in and probably stay just one year and be gone again, if they bring some experience to the team, which is an area where I think the fans think that Cal needed more help, uh, I think they're probably okay with that. I think they're okay with it, Tom, if they get to the Final Four. Whether it's one and done or whether it's one and done with freshmen or one and done with uh, juniors and seniors or grad transfers. If they get to the Final Four, then, yeah, we're okay with that. Yeah, that's usually how it works. John Clay's with us. Uh, John Clay's not okay with some of the, the talk about rules changes for college basketball. He's written about that in the Herald Leader. We'll talk about that when we come right back. It's the Leach Report on a Friday. John Clay with us from KentuckySports.com. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Back with John Clay from the Lexington Herald Leader on Twitter. It is at John Clay IV. And if you go to the website for the Herald Leader, KentuckySports.com, you'll see John's latest column uh, discussing some various notes, one of which is the discussion about the possibility of changing one of the rules in college basketball on fouls and that players would have six fouls instead of five. You are not a fan, right? No, I don't, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's. I can understand where you know they want to keep the better players on the floor longer, uh, but you know college basketball is a forty-minute game. Uh, pro basketball has six fouls, but it's a forty-eight-minute game. Now they're talking about doing some modifications of a six-foul rule. Maybe have that you get only three fouls per half. Uh, you could get four. One could carry over where you could get four fouls maybe in the second half. Uh, but I, you know, that seems to me kind of complicated. They're also talking about another rule where you would, uh, instead of going to quarters, apparently there's some TV problems if they tried to go to quarters, like down the women's game is the quarters instead of the two, just the two halves, uh, that they would reset the fouls after 10 minutes. But I think that, you know, to me, they ought to make the rules easier to understand, not more difficult to understand. But the six foul rule, the Big East did the six fouls back in the early 90s and everybody, saw it claims that it was a disaster because it just made more teams were uh, apt more fouls. It took more chances, committed more fouls. Therefore, you have more stoppage in play. People are shooting more free throws, and nobody really wants to see that. So, you know, the rules committee's meeting up at Indianapolis. They've been meeting this week. We'll see what comes out of that. But uh, uh, I, for one, hope they don't go to the six fouls. There's one thing they, they started to do a few years ago, and then they, they – uh, didn't have the courage to follow through on it when coaches started to push back is to 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 me i'll get your take on this uh, to uh, do something about the block charge calls and i think yeah. the, the simple answer would just be to it should be really hard to get a charging foul i think it, you you uh give the benefit of the doubt to the offense uh, discourage guys from, especially off the ball defenders, from rotating over and and uh, going down and getting a foul. Um, and if you do that, I think you'll have fewer fouls called. You'll keep more guys in the game longer. It'll be more appealing to fans. It'll be easier on officials. It'll be much more fun to watch. 
there's a lot of good reasons there, any one of which would be enough to change uh, the – and it's not so much change the rules, just change the way it's called. Tom, who do I call to get you on the rules committee? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make the nomination to get you. Doesn't it do all that? All that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think that's the number one thing is the block charge call, and they call way too many charges. Uh, I think we saw a lot of that at the NCAA tournament. I thought there were way too many charges called. And I'm with you. It should They should make it that, that that's rare when you get the charge call. Yes. I hate it when the secondary effect, uh, defender picks up a charge. A lot of times it just seems like they step right in front of them, and if they've got their feet even halfway set, they're going to get the get the call and i know the coaches teach that they like to keep you know get the charge call i can understand that but i definitely think that should be uh, a point of emphasis i tell you another thing and I, I think they are apparently talking about this i wish they would go to the international rule on goaltending let them yes. let them swat the ball away you know let's let's make the officials job easier not harder that's one of my pet peeves you know, we keep adding rules and rules, and therefore, you know, the officials have got more to think about, more to watch for, and they sometimes miss obvious things because they're looking for these, all these other rules that are put in place. To me, that would be an easy fix. Go Amen to that. Rule. Yeah, get rid of goal, get rid of goaltending, take that off the officials' plate. And while we're doing this, and it's the summer, we're not talking about games, so we can kind of go off on tangents. Uh, I'm going to put a 30 second clock on replays. And yeah. it's it starts like once I have I seen all the angles you have for me. Yes, you have. Start the clock, thirty seconds. Yeah. If you yeah. can't right. if you can't decide in thirty seconds, that's the definition of inconclusive. Right, because then that isn't that the way it's supposed to be. Is yes, they, there's conclusive evidence that the call is wrong or the call needs to be changed. You stick with the call that was made on the court. But you're exactly right. I mean, they're taking way too long. I know they're trying to get the call. I remember Bill Polian, who was with the Indianapolis Colts GM and the Colts, I heard him one time say, because he was in when they when they started the NFL rule, he was on the competition committee for the replay. He said the replay was never intended to get every call right. You can't get – there has to be a human element. It's The replay was put in to, to correct egregious mistakes, not every mistake. And I think uh, we've got um, – too far the other way where we're trying to get every call right and you're exactly right it just messes up the flow uh, flow of the game when you do that well we we've we can fix it they just need to let us yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's right john thanks for the time have a good weekend you too tom thank you that's john clay from the lexington herald leader in kentucky sports.com we are halfway home on this edition of the leach report coming to you from the clark's pump and shop studio and when we come right back We'll talk a little U.K. baseball with Darren Hedrick. Big win last night. We'll talk about that when we return. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Two on, two away, the 2-1. And Rhodes sends a line drive center field. Base hit. Scoring is E-step. Here comes Schultz. The throw is offline. E-slide save. And it's a two-run single for the All-American John Rhodes as Kentucky goes in front of Florida 7-5 here in the eighth. And that was Darren Hedrick on the UK Network last night with the call in the bottom of the eighth. John Rhodes delivering what was the game winner for the Wildcats in a huge win over eighth-ranked Florida 7-5 to start the series. Darren joins us now, and a great call and great win. Thank you very much, Tom. Man, what a what an exciting win for this team last night as they continue to try and 
Serge were a postseason berth, and it was great to see John Rhodes, who's had a, a tough spring. He continues to come around for this group. And uh, some great uh, pitching in the top half of the inning when Florida looked like they were going to go ahead. Yeah, you're exactly right. Daniel Harper has become a real force in the bullpen for this Kentucky team. And last night he had to do it again. Bases loaded, less than two out. Struck out the side to escape the jam. And then after Rhodes go ahead and single, Harper came back out pitching for the win this time and closed the door on the Gators and a huge win for this team. Kentucky's right there on the on the fringe from the folks who analyze NCAA tournament bracketology, right? Yeah, they are. Uh, I think most publications, whether you read Division One baseball or D one baseball, uh, Baseball America, they've got Kentucky in their first four, first five out. But the Wildcats are right there, and a win over Florida is a big resume builder. If you can get one of these next two, it's going to be huge for this team. And you still got opportunities ahead of you with a ranked South Carolina team, and obviously Vanderbilt, one of the best teams in the nation. So. There's still plenty of opportunities to build that resume and return to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, these next two games now get to, I mean, a sweep would be massive, but just to get win a series against a top-10 team, uh, it's obviously momentum for the players, but uh, it's uh, great for that resume. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, this team has been so close. You look at some of their scores. They had a chance to win the series at Georgia. Lost that middle game by one run. Georgia went on to win that series. And uh, Tennessee, they won a tough game. And while, yeah, the two scores in Knoxville that they lost were uh, decisive, you look at those innings, and they were in that game, excuse me, outside of one inning in both of those games. And so it's just trying to figure out how to limit damage and also figure out a way to close out some of these close games. And I think this team is getting there. How is uh, this team improved or evolved over the course of the season that you've watched to this point? Well, I think the biggest thing are the the, the hitters are certainly starting to come around, like I mentioned with John Rhodes. T.J. Collette's had a great year. Colton Kessler. We've really seen the emergence of Ryan Ritter, who I thought being in his first year in the SEC might struggle at the plate, and instead this shortstop's playing great defense and hitting 300. So, they're starting to figure out things defensively. Some guys are getting back healthy. The pitching arms, it's a young staff. I think we've seen some of them kind of hit that freshman wall a little bit. But the biggest thing is we've seen Sean Harney emerge as the guy filling in for Mason Hazelwood, who uh, went down with the injury. He'll start tonight for Kentucky. And then you get guys like Cole Stuff. I know Cole's numbers at the end of the night, Tom, weren't what we all wanted or what he wanted. But he gave this team five scoreless innings and only allowed a run over six. So those are the type of things this team needs to continue building on to get to the postseason. Jay Collette's been hammering the baseball, and uh, he's number two now on the all-time home run list, right? Yeah, he is. He's up to number 41. He just passed uh, one of his best friends, A.J. Reed, for second all-time. I'll tell you, he's been a great story this spring. He's been so fun to watch because he struggled at the start of the year. And people were starting to wonder if, you know, maybe it's time for Kentucky to give a young guy an opportunity. And then TJ just, it clicked. And, you know, he's healthy. He's playing great defense at first base. And like you mentioned, he is just hammering the baseball. And even when he's not sending it out of the yard, Tom, it's just a tough at bat. He's such a grinder. And that's what they need in this lineup right now. Let's talk about the matchup to start tonight on the mound for game two of the Kentucky-Florida series. 
Well, you look at Florida staff, and it's a typical Florida pitching staff. They've got Tommy Mace, who's a veteran guy. He's going to bring a, a pitch mix. He's got good velocity, but the biggest thing is he's going to attack the strike zone. You've got to be ready to, uh, to balance that out and fight pitches off when he gets the two strikes. So he's going to be another tough out for Florida. But with Sean Harney for Kentucky, he's coming off back-to-back wins over Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, outside of a couple of home runs here and there, he really doesn't allow a lot of damage because of that wipeout curveball that he has. And he's got great velocity on the fastball. And the biggest thing, like we talk about all the time in the SEC, he's got experience. And so he's able to stay calm in the big situations and get himself out of jams. Kentucky's going to need that tonight. First pitch, what time tonight? 6.30 our first pitch tonight, and we'll be on the air at 6.15. We'll chat with second baseman Zeke Lewis, and we'll have Coach Mingione as always. Uh, it'll be on the U.K. radio network, 6.15 Eastern time. And there's, I saw on Twitter a picture of a bunch of teddy bears. Tell us what that's about. Yeah, so it's perfect for this weekend. Our series against Florida this weekend on the U.K. Sports Network is presented by U.K. Healthcare, but all spring long, we have been collecting teddy bears from people that come to Kentucky Proud Park. And at the end of the season, those teddy bears are all going to be donated to Kentucky Children's Hospital, uh, to the, the children and also to their families. And so it's a really neat cause. You can come by on the concourse and see all the teddy bears that have been collected at this point. I think it's well over 500 teddy bears. And again, they'll be donated to Kentucky Children's Hospital. So a, a really neat cause, and I'm happy to contribute to that as well. Good deal. Uh, Darren will be on the call tonight on the UK radio network. And so tune him in, see if Kentucky can get uh, number two in the series. And then uh, I guess we should let folks know what uh, is first pitch for the wrap up to the series tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be a two o'clock first pitch tomorrow. And I know it's going to be a little chilly time, but it should be mostly a sunny day. So come on out two o'clock tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, rather, and uh, Zach Lee will get the ball for Kentucky tomorrow, and he's been stellar at home. I think it's three SEC starts. He's only allowed one run. So the Cats have set themselves up nicely to try to win this series, and I know they want to hear from Big Blue Nation like they did last night. So come on out to the ballpark. Great to hear that uh, cheering again, too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. That is, that's been one of the biggest blessings of the spring so far. Darren, thanks so much for the time. Have a good call tonight. Thank you so much, Tom. Always a pleasure to come on and chat with you guys, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. The weather folks on uh, TV this morning were saying the best day of the weekend is going to be tomorrow. So um, can't make it out tonight. Get out to Kentucky Proud Park tomorrow. Kentucky, Florida, a couple of big ones coming up. We'll be right back with Sean Vinsel of Hoops Insight on the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Quarter before the top of the hour, we go back to the phones and bring in Sean Vensel from Hoops Insight to talk about some of the new additions to John Calipari's team, not his staff, but the team. And the latest one's CJ Frederick. And uh, Sean, you wrote about him in a recent post at your site and how his game could uh, would fit into uh, Kentucky. So uh, what do you like best about what Frederick brings to Kentucky? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tom. I think uh, the, most, <clears throat> the most interesting thing about Frederick, obviously, is his shooting. He's elite. 
But I think beyond that, the thing that excites me the most is if you look at the transfer portal, there are some great shooters, but they don't bring the playmaking that C.J. Frederick does, the secondary playmaking. He's not a lead point guard, obviously, but he actually assisted on a pretty high percentage of his teammates' basket, which means he's creating space with his shooting, but he's also getting his teammates the ball in that space in places that they can score. Uh, over his career at Iowa, he assisted on about 15% of his teammates' baskets. That's about the same rate that like Keon Brooks or Terrence Clark put up last year as kind of secondary playmakers or even lead playmakers for Kentucky. But he actually, uh, Frederick had fewer turnovers, about half the turnovers those guys did. So he really can make the offense hum in a lot of ways. In the last two seasons, Iowa's offense was at their absolute best when he was in the game. And I think that's a really important thing that Kentucky can not only have that space, but also have players who can move the ball around that space. As far as that secondary playmaker uh, component of his game, back in Cal's second season when they went to his first Final Four, Brandon Knight was the lead guard. But if he needed a break or got into a little foul trouble, Deron Lamb could slide over and run the point. But Deron was a two-guard. He was a uh, you know, classic shooting guard. Ken Frederick or perhaps even Kellen Grady, if, let's say, Kentucky gets Ty Ty Washington, nobody else, and Mintz doesn't come back, could uh, Frederick and or Grady be guys that could do what Lamb did for that team? It's interesting. I, Grady has more experience uh, running the point, but I actually probably believe in Frederick a little bit more because he's done it at a little bit higher level. One of the things I worry a little bit about with Kellen Grady is over the last two years, he was pretty inconsistent on some of his uh, – using the, the dribble to create for his teammates. So, yeah, I actually think, though, the combination of Grady and Fred, Frederick could be pretty solid in a pinch in the same way that, that like you mentioned, Calipari's used some off-guards in the past. So I really like that he's bringing in two shooters who bring that secondary playmaking. Not every team this offseason has been able to find that in the transfer portal. You can read this uh, story that we're talking about with CJ at HoopsInsight.com and on Twitter, it's at HoopsInsight. Uh, Sean, uh, we've mentioned Kellen Grady there. You uh, wrote about him when he committed from Davidson. So uh, give us the uh, deep dive on the analytics on his game. Yeah, the most interesting thing I think about him is uh, Grady is far from just being a a shooter. He's a a good shooter. He's in the high 30, uh, 35 to 38% range pretty consistently. But he actually is even more efficient inside the arc. Um, At the rim, he's an excellent scorer. Two-point jumpers, he's an excellent scorer. And the, the most similar UK player uh, of recent vintage who can do that was actually probably Tyler Hero. It's actually a pretty good co- comparison to Tyler Hero without that level of free throw shooting that Tyler brought. Um, but Grady's like Tyler. You know, Grady can be a solid secondary playmaker, low turnovers, doesn't commit a lot of fouls, and can create his shot in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm really actually really excited to see what, what Grady can do because if he can handle the step up in competition, I think he's a, you know, a sneaky candidate to maybe be uh, Kentucky's leading scorer next year. Um, the step in competition, though, is what concerns me because his three-point shooting specifically did fall off the last few years when yeah, he stepped up and played some, you know, some teams that are say top fifty type teams that Davidson didn't play always, but the type of team that Kentucky plays a lot. So we'll see how that uh, that carries forward. But I'm actually very excited about Grady as an overall scorer. Any of the fans that follow you know you were not thrilled with how Kentucky played for much of last season uh, stylistically. Um, Cal talked about in his uh, last time he did uh, mass 
uh, audience session was on the radio show after the end of the season and talked about how the game was changing and uh, said some things that made you think that he was looking maybe for a little different type of player. Do you see that in the guys he's bringing in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, what's interesting is oh, there, there are a decent number of schools that have talked about kind of reinventing their offense, but not everybody has been able to bring in the versatile type of players that I think Kentucky's landing this offseason. I think that's the, the big thing. I mean, you, you can bring in shooters, but if you don't have the playmaking with it, then what ends up happening is you, you get guys who are very one-dimensional who don't fit in uh, a lot of different lineups. And I think the fact that Kentucky's brought in some more versatile players, and I think if, if like a Keon Brooks returns, Keon Brooks is a very sneaky player who's been a very good ball mover, a very good rebounder, done a lot of good things. That's the type of versatility that you really need, I think, in order to create uh, offense for your teammates. So I'm actually very excited because several of the players, Kentucky's brought in, Frederick and Grady, both, uh, for example, are very good scorers at the rim when they get there. You know, that, that's very important to be able to kind of finish in there. That's something where Kentucky's fallen off. And just the fact that Kentucky has players who have taken a lot of three-pointers is really important. Um, if you look at last year teams that you know ranked in the top half of taking three-pointers, and then also were very good at shooting three-pointers, so they hit 35% or more. All of those teams are in the top 20 in offense nationally. Um, Kentucky, I think, can absolutely get there with the additions that they've made uh, already if they just you know complement it with uh, a playmaker like a Ty Ty Washington, you know, if Davion Mintz comes back or they land someone else. I think that's just the final piece of the puzzle to, to get the ball movement that they need. When you don't have success, it can mean you don't have talent, or it could mean that you have talented players that just didn't mesh and i know from early last season my broadcast partner mike pratt just didn't think the pieces fit together well for kentucky and we know how the season turned out it sounds like from what i'm hearing you saying that this is a group that on paper looks like at the moment especially if they had a you know, a, a lead guard that the pieces would fit together better absolutely i, I think if you look at the players they have and assume they're going to figure out that point guard situation, you're looking at they're either playing three-guard lineups or at least lineups with a lead playmaker and two great shooters who can space the floor. They didn't have that last year. So you had a guy like uh, you know, like B.J. Boston who would drive into the paint a lot, but there just wasn't space for him. You know, if, if, you know, I, last year I kept going back and watching the film, and he'd be driving either into post players or into defenders who were helping off players. That's not going to happen next year um, you know, for Kentucky. I mean, that, Another thing that I love, especially if Keon Brooks comes back, is you've got the potential to you know, to run some different types of post-up sets like they did with P.J. Washington where he posted up a little further on the floor, use his passing skill. I'd love to see Keon in a role like that, or maybe even a, a new, newcomer like Bryce Hopkins, who Kentucky isn't bringing in just loads of centers next year. They've got guys who are a little bit more mobile and probably going to be less reliant on post-ups, which creates that space for, for other players to drive and get to the rim. So I'm, I'm actually really excited because the offensive style looks like it should be completely different next year. Speaking of, though, the post-up low block game, uh, they do have Shibway, and I think you wrote about him back a while back on uh, what what the best parts of his game are or the, the question marks. Uh, what did that look like? Yeah, the first thing is Oscar Shibway is the best offensive rebounder in college basketball. Two years ago, he ranked number one in the percentage of his own teams misses that he rebounded, and last year he would have been number one if he'd qualified and played enough games. And he's well above you know, number two even. He's going to be the best offensive rebounder probably that Kentucky's ever had. Um, that's tremendously useful because obviously you get in a situation where you miss a shot. I mean, for Kentucky next season, a missed shot might be just 
perfectly fine. Uh, Kentucky also has frequently had really strong offensive rebounding teams, and I think uh, Shibuya can absolutely lead them back to being one of the best in the country at that. He also draws fouls at a very high rate, and I think that actually sneakily could be even more useful with Kentucky because actually um, somebody on, on Twitter pointed this out. The SEC as a conference actually has more fouls called per game than any other conference in the country, and so you bring Shibuya into the mix there. If he's already good at drawing fouls, He's going to do it probably even a little bit more in the SEC, and that'll help because obviously Kentucky's had problems with big men fouling out, getting in foul trouble. Now I think you'll probably see them turn the tables a little bit and be drawing more of those fouls. So I think those are two areas where he can help a lot. I'm a little bit concerned, though, about his offensive role. Um, he has been a pretty inefficient post-up player. He's not a great finisher at the rim. Yeah, Kentucky a couple of years ago, Nick Richards was – I think number one or number two in the country in field goal percentage at the rim. He just finished really well. Uh, Shibway is not that. He's, you know, more kind of average for a big man in terms of finishing. He's really good though on things like a, a, a picket, a roll man on pick and roll and then obviously with the offensive rebounds. So I think if Kentucky gets away from just dumping the ball into the post and using the, the post up, I think that'll actually help Shibway be the best version of themselves and the team be the best version of themselves because he's not a great uh, ball mover at, you know, out of the post. So, But he can definitely play a, a very pivotal role in helping if they focus the offense more on the perimeter. Sean Vensel at HoopsInsight, HoopsInsight.com to read some of this content that we're talking about. Thanks, sir. Thanks so much. We'll come back, close out this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. Stay in Wildcat history, Eric Bledsoe committed to play for the Cats. Pretty good recruiting year for Kentucky with uh, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and the rest. Uh, Babe Perilli, a Wildcat football legend and Hall of Famer, was born on this day. Several birthdays coming up tomorrow, including Jacob Toppin, uh, Jared Polson, Hashimu Evans, and J.P. Blevins. Good day to be born if you want to play basketball at Kentucky, I guess. A uh, couple of uh, thoughts on weekend races. Our Keelan Select Race of the Weeks, the Man of War from Belmont. I went with Gaffo. Um, not the favorite, but uh, won't, price won't be great. But you might be able to get a little bit of a price in the Mamzelle Stakes at Churchill Downs. Take a look at Navra Tolova at 8-1. to one. Anthony Davis, back spasms last night. Had to leave the Lakers game, but uh, at post-game he said he expects to be back tonight when they take on the Trailblazers. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, 